1: Everybody, it is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you getting up with us this morning, spending a little time with us as uh, we work our way uh, through the NFL weekend. Uh, that may be matter of fact. No, not maybe. That was the greatest weekend of NFL playoff football that I have ever seen all four games go right down to the final possession the last one goes into overtime and that game last night was absolutely insane so we're going to talk about all that uh, this morning we're going to spend the second half of our show this morning remembering Jim Forbes Um, for those of you that don't know who he is or may not have heard the interview Jim Forbes was uh, uh, a legend in El Paso Texas he was a uh, great high school player, played at uh, UTEP, uh, was a member of the U.S. Olympic team in 1972 that got screwed out of a gold medal um, uh, against the Russians, uh, played for the Pan-American teams, and then went on to become a longtime high school basketball coach, mentored and shaped the lives of a lot of uh, young men in El Paso, Texas. So we're going to talk about him. We're going to rerun the interview we had with uh, with Jim uh, that we did back in August, Um And a great tribute to him uh, in the paper in El Paso. So we'll talk about him in the second half of the show. But let's let's start off, uh, number one, I have Red Sox tickets. I know we don't even know if there's going to be a season yet, but the Red Sox are coming to Atlanta uh, May 10th and 11th. My wife and I have tickets, got a hotel room. We are ready to roll. Uh, Now let's just hope that uh, we have a baseball season. But uh, as of right now, I am – I am in line to see the Red Sox at Atlanta. And it's, it's cool, too, because it'll be my first trip uh, to the new Atlanta Stadium, Truist Park. I have not been there before. Um, so I am anxious to see uh, that park, uh, what it looks like. So I can't wait for that. And uh, so let's just hope that they, uh, they're going to meet today, by the way, the owners and the players. Let's hope that we get some progress and something starts happening and we can have some baseballs that, that I can actually go to Atlanta. And, uh, and watch the game. It's only about a two-and-a-half-hour drive, so I'm pretty excited about that. All right, let's get into last night's games, or yesterday's games and Saturday's games, and last night, absolutely insane. You know, I remember before the game started, everybody was talking about what a shootout that that game was going to be between the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs, and late in the second quarter, it's 14-7, to and I'm like, yeah, I don't know where the high scoring was coming from because it's been kind of sleepy. Uh, You know, and as uh, I was reading, one of the articles this morning said, uh, great game, uh, but everybody's going to forget the first 58 minutes. Because what happened in the final two minutes in the overtime was just something you will never see. There were four, or excuse me, three touchdowns and a field goal in the final two minutes of this game. Just when you thought one team had it wrapped up, they didn't. Kansas City led this game. Harrison Butker hit a field goal, a chip shot with, I don't know, about nine minutes to go in the fourth. And then uh, with 154 left, Josh Allen hits Gabriel Davis with a touchdown. They go for two. They pull that off as well. So they've got a three-point lead, right, with uh, 154 to go. Now, you know that you're in trouble because Patrick Mahomes is still on the other side. And it took Patrick Mahomes exactly 52 seconds to drive them 75 yards, put them back up on top, a 64-yard bomb to Tyreek Hill. So now with 102 left, right, Kansas City's up by four, and you're like, well, it was a nice season for you, Buffalo, but see, uh, you know, because now you need a touchdown. A field goal's not going to do you any good. And what happens? 13 seconds left. Josh Allen hits Gabriel Davis again. They go 75 yards in six plays. And, you know, it was just it, it just one amazing play after another in this thing. So he hits him with 13 seconds left. Buffalo's up 36-33 with 13 seconds to go. Now, you don't score with 13 seconds left when you've got to go, uh, you know, a long way. Well, Kansas City ends up getting the ball in pretty good field position. And uh, three plays later, they get it close enough. They get it down to about the 31, 32 yard line, and Harrison Butker nails a 49 yard field goal as time expires to send the game to overtime. I, honest to God, I mean, I, you know, and I had, and the thing was, was what was great about this game for me, I had no skin in the game. I don't root for either team. Didn't really care. I just wanted a good game. Well, <laughs> boy, did I get one. Uh, you know, my, my old buddy, Eric Braun, uh, who I do the, uh, boys of summer podcast with is a a Kansas city chiefs fan. He was a mess. Uh, I'm sure Buffalo bills fans were a mess. And I can't even imagine if I was a fan of one of these teams, I would have had a heart attack. So then Josh Allen does the only bad thing he did all game, (laughs) right? They, they're going to have the coin flip for the overtime and, uh, because uh, Buffalo's a visiting team, they get the call. he calls tails, it comes up heads. Kansas City gets the ball. That's the only mistake he made all day because they never saw the football. Travis Kelsey an eight yard pass from Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes takes the, uh, the opening they take the opening kickoff and Mahomes takes some 75 yards and eight plays game over. If they'd only kicked the field goal, Buffalo would have had an opportunity to get the ball back. Uh, but if you score a touchdown, it's over. Kansas City wins forty two thirty six. 36 look there, you know this is what was great about this game. Not just the last two minutes, not just the overtime, but when you look at this game, there weren't mistakes made. There were not a lot of mistakes. There were only four penalties called in the entire game: three against Buffalo, one against Kansas City. Right? Uh, didn't have any turnovers. Uh, it was just—it uh, was ridiculous. You know, so these two teams played as flawlessly as you can offensively. Now, defensively, you know, look, there are a couple of times where guys are wide open. Travis, Travis Kelsey uh, with the touchdown pass, you know, in the overtime, that was, you know, that was fine. But the the ones that are more unforg- unforgivable are how the hell is Tyreek Hill running around uh, the way he did to get open on that 64-yard bomb? Look, uh, Gabriel Davis sets an NFL record. First time ever in a playoff game that somebody caught four touchdown passes? Gabriel Davis, with, with some of these other great names, Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley, we're talking about Gabriel Davis. Eight catches, 201 yards, four touchdowns, NFL record. Tyreek Hill, ridiculous. 11 catches, 150 yards. Travis Kelsey, eight catches, 96 yards. Uh, but the quarterbacks were the story. Josh Allen throws for 329 and four scores. Patrick Mahomes throws for 378 and three scores. And both these guys were the leading rushers for their teams. Mahomes, seven rushes for 69 yards. He averaged 9.9 9 yards a carry. Uh, Josh Allen averages 6.2 yards a carry. Josh Allen, at one point, he had a run that was unbelievable. He hurdles over a guy, then does a like a John Madden video game spin move and gains another five yards. It was just these guys were unreal. You know, and you feel bad for Buffalo. You really do. But if you're a football fan, if you're not a fan of either one of those teams, all you're feeling is joy that you got an opportunity to watch that game. Man, was that fun. Uh, I have not seen the early betting lines yet in Vegas, but I have to think that uh, the Chiefs will be a prohibitive favorite. I got to think they're going to be a 5-6 point favorite over the Cincinnati Bengals, although I'm not going to count the Bengals out. Uh, we'll get to them in a minute, but uh, man – what a great game. Just a – that was if, – if you are the NFL, you want to bottle that game. You know, I, I don't know if I have ever seen a better game. I don't think I have. Playoff game or regular season game. I, that is a game – I don't know how many years I got left, but that will be a game I will remember for the rest of my life. That was so much fun. <laughs> and my wife – You know, look, God love her. She had a hell of a a week. She's been, you know, working a lot. She fell asleep in the chair, and I'm, like, next to her, like, screaming like an idiot. You know, I woke her up a couple of times. But my first thought was, how the hell can you fall asleep watching this? But then I remember, it's my wife. She's not a sports fan. I mean, she watches it with me just, you know, because, you know, because she's my wife. But uh, that was unreal. It really was. Greatest game I have ever seen, period. Now, uh, the other game yesterday Tom Brady is out of the playoffs. The, uh, they lose to the Los Angeles Rams, thirty to twenty-seven, and all. And this game looked like it was. They looked like they were deader than Julius Caesar. With seven minutes left in the third quarter, they are trailing twenty-seven to three, and you are like, they are toast. I guess we should know just not to ever count out a team that's led by Tom Brady. And, and you know when they tied it up, Leonard Fournette gets that nine-yard run. Uh, with 42 seconds left, and they tie it up at 27 apiece. All I could think about was, man, what a what bookends for Tom Brady. You know, the Super Bowl with the 28 to three comeback over Atlanta, and now here we are in the uh, AFC uh, divisional round. They're down 27 to three Ram- to to the Rams, and I could just see like 28 to three on one side, 27 to three on the other side. Man, I mean, what else? You know, this guy can't do anything else. Unfortunately the Cinderella finish for the Bucks went out the window when the defense forgot to cover Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is a guy that arguably could be the most valuable player in the NFL. Ends up with nine catches for 183 yards. But there were two times in that final drive you left him wide open. The defense for the Bucks absolutely killed them. You make that great comeback, and then you leave Cooper Cup wide open for a huge gain. And now, all of a sudden, the Rams have basically a chip shot, like an extra point, a 30-yard field goal that Matt Gay hits uh, as time expires, and the Rams escape with the win. Unforgivable. You know, and, you know, look... No question, they were probably gassed. They they came up big. They got some big three and outs, you know, late in that fourth quarter. But you can't leave. Cooper Cup cannot be that open. How are you on single coverage against Cooper Cup, a guy that you know can shred you and has been shredding you all game? You know, I mean, just disappointing. And if you're Tom Brady – you know you just have to you just have to shake your head and you tip your cap and you say well you know did what i could do you know and brady wasn't great yesterday you know and i you feel bad for him a little bit now nobody's ever going to feel bad for tom brady but look this was a a tampa team that is so banged up you know they got Fournette back which was great and they still had mike evans who had a great game gronk had a big game you know but you think about if antonio brown uh hadn't imploded um You know, if they hadn't lost their other receiver, uh, his name is escaping me right now, but he goes out with three or four games left in the season. You know, uh, their right tackle was on one leg. You know, I mean, they just had so many injuries, and the fact that they were able to get as far as they did uh, with no Fournette, you know, the last part of the season and, you know, a lot of your offensive, uh, a lot of the targets for Tom Brady taken away, you know, but if you're Brady, what else are you gonna do, you know? And for Matthew Stafford, you got to feel good for the guy. I mean, he, this is a guy that languished with the Detroit Lions for so long, you know. It never won a playoff game, and until last week, and it looked like this one was going to slip away. And look, 28 for 38, 366, a couple of scores, no interceptions. He's he was great. So you got to feel good for him. But man, what a crushing loss for the Bucks. And I, my, my buddy uh, uh Dan Zampano our friend of the show um was at the game down there and the only thing I could think of at, at one point when they were down 27 to 3 I was wondering if he was like leaving the building <laughs> I said I, I hope he didn't leave uh you know but man what a what a uh, what a, another another great finish you know the first week as disappointing as it was the the wild card weekend is the, the as stinky as the games were Man, the NFL made up for it this week. Now, of course, the questions start: Will Tom Brady come back? You know, and look, you know, he got asked that right away, and to his credit, he said, "Look, guys, uh, I'm thinking about this game." He said, "I'm not thinking about five minutes from now." Now, he had said earlier in the season that he planned on playing um, at least one more year. You know, back in September, he said, uh, "You know, I'm going to play next year." And he's under contract for next year, but, you know, it, it's up to him. He said, And he said all along it's going to be a family decision. And, look, I think he's coming back. You know, there were some other comments I saw on the broadcast yesterday that said, you know, he'd like to go out with another Super Bowl. And he said, I don't know if this year is going to be it. So when he said that, you almost are thinking like, uh, you know, he knew with all the injuries and everything that maybe they didn't have enough, and so maybe, you know, they, they'd he'd make one more run at it. But if this was his last game – You know what? Uh, This was uh, a a typical Tom Brady game. Never count the man out, and he did everything he could do. The defense let him down. Forty-two seconds left. You can't let them look. If Matt Gay's going to hit a field goal, you got to make it a long field goal. You got to make it. You know, if you want to beat us, you're going to beat us with a 56-yard field goal, something like that. You know. But instead, the defense let him down, and uh, it was an easy field goal, and they, they want it going away. Uh, and then on Saturday, Aaron Rodgers, now the questions begin whether he will be back as they lose to the 49ers, 13-10. to 10. Aaron Rodgers, by the way, look, he was pretty good, 20-29, of 29, 225 yards, but he has never beaten the 49ers in the playoffs. He's 0-4. First quarterback in NFL history to lose four playoff starts to one opponent. Uh, and, you know, it, it, and uh, Tennessee lost earlier in the day. That's the first time. That The number one seeds have lost in the divisional round in the same season since 2010. I mean, we just saw some bizarre stuff this weekend. You know, but Robbie Gold with the 45-yard field goal as time expires and the 49ers advance, and they are damn lucky because I'm going to tell you what, (laughs) they had no business winning this game. You know, and I think the weather played a factor in this. I think the weather actually hurt Green Bay late like in the game when you know they've got to do something with the football. the 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 uh, It was cold, it was windy, it was snowing, and uh, and it affected them, no question. But look, Jimmy Garoppolo was 11 for 19 for 131 yards, no touchdowns, interception. He got sacked four times. He was not good. You know, but give it to the San Francisco defense. They sacked Aaron Rodgers five times. They shut down the Green Bay running attack. They averaged like three yards a carry. They couldn't do anything. Uh, So, look, tip your cap to the defense here. You know, this was just a simple case of uh, Green Bay just couldn't do anything offensively. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, whether he was going to be the MVP of the league or not, it was already decided uh, but he couldn't get it done when they needed to, and and I do think I really do believe the weather was an issue. So, then earlier in the day, the Tennessee Titans, the other number one seed, they lose to the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, and with with uh, you you heard Zampano here on Friday when with Derrick Henry coming back and you know uh, Julio Jones going to be healthy, you know, they were you didn't you didn't see how Cincinnati was going to win this game, and Joe Burrow got sacked. Nine times. Nine times he got sacked. And they still won the game. He was 28 of 37, 348. Nine times he got sacked. An NFL record in a playoff game. And they won. And if you are Tennessee now, you have to seriously question what you're going to do about your quarterback situation, whether Ryan Tannehill is going to be your guy going forward or not. You really do. Three interceptions. Three interceptions, fifteen of twenty-four. Uh, you know, and you say whatever you want about the Cincinnati. Look, they only got to him one time. Uh, this was just Ryan Tannehill stunk. Derrick Henry did what he could do. He look, he hadn't, been, he'd been out the almost, you know, for what eight, nine weeks, and he still had, he still carried about twenty times. You know, I mean, he did what he could, but at the end of the day, Ryan Tannehill lost this game. Three interceptions. Period you know and and again give credit to the cincinnati defense so i don't know what whether the championship games are going to be uh as exciting but i really think kansas city will 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 beat uh cincinnati and then when it i think the rams are probably the better team in the nfc I mean, I think, they, I think they can beat San Francisco. But, again, San Francisco has owned the Rams lately. What, six straight wins, something like that? It's crazy. So we'll see if Jimmy G's got some magic. Everybody wanted the all-handsome NFC championship game with Brady and uh, Garoppolo, but instead uh, we get Garoppolo against Matthew Stafford. So, uh, But they're going to have to go a long way to, uh, to beat what we saw this past weekend. Absolutely incredible. It's 25 minutes past the hour, and we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to remember uh, a, a, an Olympian, uh, but not just an Olympian, a guy that uh, was a first-class human being. I mean, I, I got to interview him. I, I'd never, I've never met him, but I had a half-an-hour conversation with him, and one of the classiest gentlemen I've ever had a, the opportunity to talk to. We're going to remember Jim Forbes when we come back. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake-Up Call on Sports Country. It's 28 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake up call here on a uh, a Monday morning. Um Jim Forbes passed away on Friday. Uh the same day we learned about the uh uh the passing of a couple of other uh big names, you know, Louie Anderson passed away and uh you know, we we uh uh this kind of gets lost, and, and Jim Forbes was not a household name, but he was a member of one of the uh, the Olympic team one of the, in one of the most uh, uh, controversial things in, in U.S. Olympic history when they had the gold medal stolen from them um, back in 1972 against the Russians. But more than that, Jim Forbes was a guy that uh, uh, was an institution where he lived. I, I got an opportunity to talk to him thanks to my wife's cousin, Laura plumber uh, who's married to uh jim's uh brother steve and uh i was really glad that uh that i had that opportunity it was uh it was really an honor for me to speak to him and uh when i i got to to meet uh steve and uh, laura and uh, steve is such a nice guy he's a uh, a police officer down in el paso texas and then i talked to his brother and uh the one thing that struck me is they're both you know very uh uh very humble guys, very classy guys. And, uh, Jim Forbes, what's amazing about, you know, there was a great, um, tribute to him in the El Paso times. And, uh, there were some quotes from a lot of people that, that, uh, he mentored or other coaches in the area. But the, the one that struck me, uh, Joe Golding, who is the uh, UTEP men's basketball coach, talked about how he saw Jim Forbes in July in Dallas. And he said, uh, uh, he said, "I'd heard a lot about him." He said, "He said, but this was what was incredible." He said, uh, "I had an hour conversation with the guy." He said, "With about, uh, he's one of the best all-time minor players." He never talked about himself. He said he talked about Coach Haskins, who was the Olympic coach. Uh, he talked about his teammates. He talked about the Olympic experience. He talked about his players at uh, Riverside and his Final Four experience. Uh, he, he talked about his his teams at Andrus where he coached uh, up until his death, and he said and and he talked about how how invested he was in those guys. He says, but he never talked about himself, never. You know what? And that's and you you quickly when I when I had the conversation with him, uh, and before we even did the interview, you know you could tell he was he was a little ret- reticent about talking about. it. Matter of fact, he had kind of stopped doing interviews about the Olympic team. Uh, in 1972, you get you know, you get tired of talking about it, but he also, I think, he got gets tired of, of talking about himself. And you know, he was about he was about the kids. And look, this is a guy that uh, went to high school in El Paso, graduated in 1970. He was a high school all American. Uh, he played at UTEP, um, and he's had one of he's he been one of the best basketball coaches in Texas in his career. Won 700 games. He won his 700th game earlier this season. He started coaching the team this year, and then uh, fell ill. And uh, uh, one of the assistant coaches took the team over. Um, But he won his 700th game this year. That's unbelievable at Andrews High School. And uh, they are one of the uh, regional state powers in in El Paso. So, uh, again, I'm going to rerun the interview we did with him back in uh, August. And you'll hear a little bit about him. You'll hear a little bit about uh, his Olympic experience. And I think you'll get a sense of uh, not just what a nice guy he is, but what a humble man he was. And uh, I am honored to have had the opportunity to talk to him. So uh, uh, from August, this is our interview we ran with Jim Forbes. I hope you'll enjoy it as uh, we remember him as he passed away at the age of 69 on Friday. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call, and we are pleased to be joined by Jim Forbes, a member of the 1972 Olympic men's basketball team that participated in the games in Munich. And, uh, Jim, thanks thanks for joining us, first of all. I know that with the Summer Olympics coming on, the members of your team have to be very popular, and it's not for a reason you necessarily always want to talk about, but I appreciate you coming on for a few minutes with us this morning.
0: Thank you very much. appreciate it.
1: Well, look let's let's get let's cut right to the chase and 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 talk about what happened and uh, a game that it was you know I, I guess there's no other way to put it. it. It was like the officials handed this game to the Russians. You guys were trailing the whole game. you did a great job coming back Doug Collins with a couple of free throws to get you back in it. And the game basically should have been over, right? But the 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 coaching staff and the Russians screamed that they should have been able to have a timeout. But the rules said they couldn't call a timeout, and yet the officials stopped the game and let them do it again. Uh, you guys must have been beside yourselves when that happened. Well, you
0: there's a lot of this is basically mass confusion at the at the end of the game. Uh, as, as noted, we were, we played that game late at night to accommodate the television audience back in the United States. Uh, so we, we got up early and um, went through routines and uh, just that anticipation all, all day and all night. You know, we're playing the Soviet Union uh, for, the, for the gold medal. And you got to remember, this is 1972. United States is coming out of Vietnam. Uh, um, you know, the U.S. goal has always been to defeat communism. That though, you know, on a historical note so there was a strong uh, a strong feeling uh, in in that olympic village and 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 in the soviet union and the united states about about this particular game and as i stated earlier it was played late uh, late that evening and, um, and in the states couldn't have been couldn't have been higher you know you're playing for a gold medal but there was more to it than that so the united states you know we we played them and um, it was a Back and forth game. Uh, it was a game where we trailed, uh, basically the the entire game, and um, uh, we were down three. Um, a shot was made, to cut us to one, and then um, the Russians were trying to run the clock out, and we got a steal, and Collins uh, went to the went to the rim and got fouled, and and um, got up and made both free throws. The Russians um, brought the ball in several times and you know and we thought we had won that game uh, several times and and you'll see the premature celebration uh, of the us uh, of our team you know we were, we were just uh, beside ourselves because uh, we actually didn't play that great of a game but uh, that's not the issue the issue is uh, we did uh, win this ball game, and and that that that's that's stuck in our minds. And then the third time around, uh, they threw the ball down, and uh, and I got knocked to the floor, and Kevin Joyce was back there out of the play, and um, uh, and and they scored, and then that was that was a game. So as I said, it was a confusion. Uh, you know, at the end of the ball game, we went in the locker room, and and uh, we um, you know, just just popped up, you know, we're not going out on the podium to accept the silver medal. And, and to this day, there are detractors who, who say, well, we should have accepted the silver medal, you know, and, and I'll be honest with you, had, uh, had they, the Russians defeated us and um, won that gold medal and uh, without that interference, uh, I, would, I would have proudly stood on the podium and accepted the silver medal, but, but that's, not, that's not how it happened. And you know, and, and it's there for the entire world to see uh, to make it make its own judgment. And uh, we made a, a quick judgment. We made our judgment call that, uh, as a group, uh, as a team, we were not going to accept uh, any. Um, we were not going to accept a silver medal when we, when we emphatically knew that we had uh, had won a a gold medal. And 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 that just, that's basically part of it. Most of it in a nutshell.
1: When when did you guys make the decision that you weren't going to accept the medal? Was it was it immediately that night, or did you sleep on it before you made uh, that decision?
0: I think it was. If I'm not mistaken. It was that night. It was in the locker room. Okay. The decision was made. Yeah. yeah. Was, the Decision was made, and that resolve got stronger and stronger as uh, as the night and day wore on.
1: So. I think the the thing too that people need to remember, you know, for younger people that might be listening to the show, is that this was a time when the U.S. team was made up of college players. This wasn't a professional team yet. The Soviet Union players were all professional players in the league in their country. So it was really kind of, I guess, there's no other way to put it. It was it was pros against amateurs, but also it was men against boys in a lot of cases. Uh, and, and so it's it's it wasn't a level playing field to begin with
0: well the, the, there's a lot of truth to, to what, what you said but uh but remember the united states uh had not lost uh, a a game in the olympics and and so forth we our average age was right at 20 years right the uh, soviet union you know mid-20s and 26 27 that, but that and uh and and we understood that going in you know we, we we all understood uh, that uh, we had a very, very young, young team, and, uh, and a young, talented team that uh, that had a lot of speed, but was built around uh, around defense with Coach Iowa, Coach Gaskins, and Coach Bob. And um, and that's what, uh, what that's what kept us. There's a there's a lot of criticism pointed at uh, our coaches, you know, who aren't aren't here to actually defend themselves about the style that, that we played and, and so forth. But but um, when we had won that, uh, when we felt we had won that game and celebrating, nobody cares about what style you were playing. You know, you just, you just, um, we, we just won. And unfortunately, we have that distinction of being a team in the fashion and the way, the way this played out. Uh, had we just won that game by two three four points we'd have just been another u.s olympic team that uh won a gold medal and you and i probably wouldn't be having this conversation <laughs> right now that's a good point so yeah but but the way the but the, but the, but the way this uh was done you know life isn't always fair and and this was a definitely a, a situation where we we I felt that the life wasn't there, and and it's tough for me. I'm a high school coach for thirty some odd years, an assistant college coach for three years at UTEP. You know, you, one of the things we talk about, I have to talk about, is hey, learn how to accept uh, victory gracefully, and learn how to accept defeat, uh, but not accept it, but figure out ways of what you did wrong and uh, what we did wrong rather and, and, and try to fix it. And sometimes, uh, you can uh, play a game and, and look at things and just go, Hey, this so other team was just better that night. And that, that's just, that's just as simple as that, you know? Right. And, and for a lot of coaches that that's hard to accept. And so as a high school coach, I have to, I have to teach those, those choices and those qualities. And yet at the same time, I, uh, I do, I do an interview and I say, well, you know, look, we're not accepting the outcome of this this game. So, so, so I'm going to catch 22 position, right? You know, because a lot of younger kids, my, my players will, you know, I'll talk to them. They'll ask me about it. And they'll, they'll give me that look like, wait a minute, coach, you're telling us that if we get beat bad call or whatever, we have to accept it. I said, yeah, but you <laughs> didn't accept that uh, yeah. little and, and, and I have to say well maybe this was a yeah. little bit different yeah that,
1: that, a though. classic case of uh, do, <laughs> do do what i say not as i do um, but you exactly. also but but in your you know th- the thing was is that this is a little bit different because there were rule questions th- there was officiating questions y- your leading scorer had been ejected from the game Dwight Jones got ejected uh, and, and didn't Jim Brewer get hurt in that game as well? I mean, you look yeah. at all those things and, and then the, the officiating at the end of the game, and I guess you can legitimately say this isn't a case of this was necessarily a team that was better than we were.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, well we look at it and you know, Jim uh, had, had gotten, gotten hit in the head. I think he suffered a, uh, a concussion I'm not one hundred percent sure about that, but Dwight—they brought in a guy, and and what was funny—the two guys just bumped each other and looked at each other the wrong way, and uh didn't even use harsh language, and and they were gone. Right? You know, they—they they, we lost our starting our starting post, and um and and our uh, starting up power forward. So, but that you know those are those are things that happen. You know, like if they'd have gotten hurt, injured during that game, the same thing uh, would have applied. So we did lose those, those two and, but we, we, we kept going and kept going and kept going. And and we got down six or eight and we just kept plodding away. And, and we sped the pace up late in the game. And, uh, and were able to, to, to catch these guys. And, um, and, and, and in my view, to catch them and, and beat them, it doesn't matter if it's by one or by 20, you know, I just tell my guys. I said, "Listen, uh, whether it's one, whether it's twenty, if you're on the the, the one point uh, edge, it's a victory. Right. You know, you'll take you'll take a victory by one. You'll take one by ten. You'll take one by twenty.
1: Yep. Um, so, well, so uh, you know." despite everything that went on obviously there are there are men and women boys and girls all across this country that would give anything to be an Olympian. you can say I was an olympian did did the experience and the final outcome of this change your view on the Olympics as a whole or being an Olympian? no 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 I did not
0: you know I uh, it's um, for those who, compete who have competed in past Olympics and those who are going to compete in future Olympics and and those who are competing now um, it is a it, it is it is something that um, that you can um, hang, hang your hat on and something that no one's going to be able to, to take away from you uh, for the rest of your life.
1: The uh, the other thing that we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up uh, the other big event that happened in the nineteen seventy two Olympics, of course, was the uh, terrorist attack by the Palestinian group uh, Black September that uh, took hostages in the Olympic Village. Now, am I correct that when this whole thing went down, your team was actually not that far away from where it where it happened?
0: We really, we
1: we really wanted,
0: weren't. The United States uh, team wasn't wasn't that that far away from them as a matter of fact when uh, people got up that morning walking by the Olympic Village you know there's a surreal scene where people are in the Olympic Village walking whether they go to breakfast or whatever and there's the uh, one of the terrace on the uh, balcony Ooh. Uh, with, with his face his mask and, and and you just go you, you went <laughs> it's you know, interesting. And a lot of times um, more, uh, people around the world probably had a better understanding in view for a little while of what was actually taking place than the athletes themselves and the officials in the Olympic belts themselves, because obviously it was a very, very tense <clears throat> and a tough, tough situation. And historically, you can look back on it and and the what ifs, what if this had been happened, what if this had been done, and what if that had been done. Um, it's just, um, you know, it was just a sad situation. And and they got in, you know, we find out later that the the terrorists actually got into the village dressed as athletes. And people pulled them over the wall. It was, security was very, very, was lax at the 1972 Olympics. Uh, the Germans obviously didn't want to make the same mistakes that they made in 1936 right. uh, in, in Berlin. And here we are 36 years later, you know, they, they're they hosting the, the Munich games and, and the atmosphere was, was, was very, was very relaxed. And, and, uh, and I think, and obviously that allowed the, um, the terrorists easier access and, and they knew exactly where to go. And, and, and it's a shame that, uh, you know, it was just, it was just a sad state of affairs and then to have them get to the airport and, and uh, the, the the so-called ambush and uh, unfortunately the some of the terrorists were able to throw hand grenades into the um, helicopters and shoot up the uh, the athletes and, and and kill them uh the jewish athletes it was uh, just it was, was a tragedy that uh, you know too many words can't really describe too much of it it was just it was just horrible and uh, and we we found out fairly uh, soon what what had happened. Initially, they had said that they'd all been been rescued, and uh, people were like, oh, "That's that's great great news." Right. And then, and then um, we find out moments later that 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 wasn't the
1: case. It must have it must have shaken everybody up. How was was there talk? I mean, of actually not finishing the Olympics? Do you, I mean, did they come close to saying, "You know, we're not we're not going to finish this."
0: A lot of people did not want to. And I know on our, our team, there were several guys uh, that uh, felt that um, man, maybe we should we should cancel the Olympics and cancel the Olympics. But then there were others who felt that, uh, you know, maybe um, we should continue and, and go on with the games and and not let them have that victory. But um, they, but they had already the damage had already been done.
1: Right, and
0: uh, and they had a one-day memorial and and so forth. Yeah, but uh, but uh, but that, that damage had, had, had already been done by the uh,
1: by the terrorists. So to get back to basketball a little bit, back to the Olympics, and of course, you know, after 1972, the, the United States kind of reasserted itself and, and continued to to have success in the Olympics. Until 88, there was another stumble. And then finally, the United States made the decision to go and start using professional athletes, the so-called dream team. How did you – did you have any feelings on that one way or the other that the games had changed and it was no longer about the, the college kids? It was more about the pros. Did that bother you at all? No, 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 it didn't. I, you know, I was pretty happy about it. I was like, you know what? um, About
0: time? (laughs) Fight fire with fire. Right. As I said, uh, um, our Olympians had been playing, but once again, the Europeans, uh, the rest of the world had started to catch up and had been catching up slowly, but surely you could see it coming. And um, in 72 Gave you a hint, and then '88, um, you know, it really opened uh, a lot of people's eyes. I think that was in Seoul, right? Yes. Yeah, you know, it, it opened up a lot of people's eyes. It's like, hey, we need to we need to do this. Uh, and uh, and I have no problem with I had no problem with the United States uh, asserting its dominance uh, with, uh, with Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, and, and that crew. Uh, that, that dream that dream team.
1: Uh, even now, though, we see the, how much the world has caught up. I mean, look at the struggles that the U.S. team had this year in their exhibitions. They lose their opening uh, game at the Olympics this year. Now they've bounced back, and it uh, looks like they've got things going well after beating the Czech Republic. But um, it's got to be difficult. As a, let's talk about it from a coach standpoint. It's got to be kind of like the first day of high school practice when you got a bunch of new kids in there that you don't know and saying, okay, we're going to start playing games in a week. Uh, it's kind of hard. You know, I don't care who your coach is, and we all know Coach Popovich is a great coach, but I don't care who you are. It's tough to get all those guys to gel as quickly. And, and do you think too much was made of the early losses by this team in the exhibitions?
0: I, I, I think so. I, I really do. I, I, I think that the, they didn't have all the pieces in place. And, and now they do, and evidently, you know, against Iran, Coach Popovich made a couple of adjustments and and so forth, and just tinkering with some things, and and uh, hopefully, I think they right the ship and win the gold medal. You know. So uh, because they're uh, they're they're actually, in my view, built to play in the play the olympic style game you know the international style game I, I really do got the shooters and uh the bigs can step out uh, and so forth but as i said uh the um the rest of the world you know the game is so international and the players are are coming from all over the world to play in the united states uh, it's it, it won't be an easy walk as, as they found out but uh, but, but I think they're gonna. I hope they they take this gold, you know, so, do it solidly. You know, so leave no doubt. And even if it, even if one, <laughs> they'll they'll take it. You know.
1: Absolutely. The guys, um, remember, remember, a couple
0: of guys were playing uh, in NBA Finals. Holiday and uh, Booker and they they had to jet out to. to to Japan to, to go play, so they were they were still missing pieces. The NBA Finals were going on, and yet players on that team.
1: Yeah, well, and um, and, and uh, you still and you don't necessarily have all you, you don't necessarily have all the best players. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean you, we don't want to get carried away with this, but obviously LeBron James isn't there. There's a bunch of guys that didn't go. Uh, you got you guys kind of faced the same thing in 1972, right? Bill Walton could have been a part of that team, and he chose. Uh, not to go. So, I mean, I guess it's something that every U.S. Olympic team faces. You're not necessarily going to get everybody uh, that you want. With the exception of that dream team, you're probably never going to get everybody that you want on the team.
0: Yeah, I remember the 19th. The dream team, uh, a lot of people were upset that um, um, Isaiah Thomas wasn't on there. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, who does who, who does whose place does he take? So it's it's kind of a catch twenty two. As I said, okay, we got twelve members, and that's uh, it. Unless you expand it to fifteen, and and then you, you, regard even with twelve, uh, there's only so many minutes. There's only
1: in, and there's only one. You only play with one ball.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so many one ball and only so many minutes right. that you can uh, that you can compete. Yeah, so it, it it's a it's a juggling act, and uh, you know, and, and Coach Popovich, uh, you know, he, he's a great great coach. He he'll figure out some things. He he's getting. He, I think he's gotten some undue criticism, you know, and still forth. Um, so
1: forth. So you come back from the Olympics, and uh, mm-hmm. you graduate from UTEP. And uh, I should let folks know that uh, you uh, went to high school in El Paso. You have stayed at home, basically. I know you were born in Alabama, but you have stayed in El Paso most of your life. So you, yeah. you, you coached. Yes, uh, go ahead.
0: Go ahead. I'm an, I'm an Army brat. Um, when we got to El Paso, my stepfather was stationed and did two tours of, I think, Vietnam. So we, we ended up staying in, uh, in El Paso, and I went to Bel Air High School. was recruited by UTEP, and I, I went to UTEP to play basketball. And and, um, and and the decision to go to UTEP probably gave me the opportunities to compete in the Olympic Games. Now, how so? Well, if you go to – there was – here's was where it comes into play. Ivo was is, is the coach. Coach Haskins actually played for Coach Ivo. And,
1: oh, he, that's uh, right. He did. I forgot about yeah, that. He yeah.
0: did. And, and one of the other factors that people understand, I was not one of the original 12, two guys, one left and another got hurt and I got called in, you know, about a, a few weeks afterwards, you know, and so a lot of people are thinking, well, Coach Haskins is the, um, is the assistant coach or well, Forbes is going to make the, the original 12, 12 members. I did not. I had a good camp, but uh, but he just told me to stay in condition and, and sure enough, um, I got a call. I met the team in D.C. and
1: so forth. Um, so you stay, after you graduate, you end up going back there as an assistant coach for a few years. What made you decide to leave college coaching and go uh, start coaching in the high school ranks?
0: Well, to be honest with you, I
1: really, really have always enjoyed the, the high school kids, the high
0: school game. Um, um, nothing nothing against the college game. The college game is, is great. But um you know, I, I just like teaching uh, more at the uh, at the high school level. I had three three great years as an assistant coach at UTEP. We brought in great players. We we had some really really good teams. And I think one year we got as high as number three in the in the nation with our uh, with our ball club. And uh, but I just always liked uh, I always liked the the high school game and. And, and I enjoy and I enjoy coaching high school kids now you know in this day and age now with um social media and <laughs> all the things yeah. it uh, it it seems like you're you're right back where you're right back at the other the other level because everybody uh everyone is on social media and they're, and they're getting themselves in
1: trouble with it right. at, at times. Yeah, well, and that's at the uh, high school and college level. And, you know, my years in, in uh, working in college athletics, that's something, you know, towards the end of my career, we had to monitor because, you know, to make sure these kids weren't doing something, you know, idiotic. And, right. and you you find yourself being more of a babysitter sometimes, I guess, than a coach, just trying to do, worry about the stuff off the court as opposed to on the court, no?
0: Yes. Um, you yeah, nowadays, back in the old old days you worried about um just eligibility right. and making sure kids were coming to practice now you gotta worry about um uh, what he or she said on on social media <laughs> and you've been into trouble and and so you you know your conversation the conversation has changed uh dramatically over the last 20 plus years uh when you deal with uh Dealing with uh, with high school kids now,
1: you know, and for folks that aren't familiar, look, everybody talks about Texas football. That football is king in Texas, but make no mistake, uh, high school basketball in the state of Texas is very, very competitive. And uh, Jim, I, you know, I don't want to brag on you too much, but I mean, this, you've won over six hundred games uh, in high school. That's no mean feat uh, when you're uh, when you're playing against some pretty good competition out there in Texas.
0: Well, yeah, one of the, the myths. About uh, Texas is that it's one hundred percent football. And, right, in the minds of a lot of people, it is one hundred percent football. <laughs> but but, uh, but but Texas is a state, and and again, uh Texas will have because it is a large state. will have more D one basketball players than any state in the union. That that there, the, it happens that way, and and the kids go all over. We Texas, is that kid sign it. Uh, Kentucky and uh, Duke everywhere. You know they they uh, you know in the in the two metroplexes that really really stand out is the Dallas Metro and the and the Houston Metroplex. I mean they're they're large. Dallas includes Dallas, Fort Worth, and all the suburbs surrounding uh, that area. And and uh, and Houston is just just huge. You know and and uh, and, and they're just just tons of players and El Paso we're kind of isolated we're closer to Mexico and New Mexico than right. we are to, to most everything in uh in in Texas so our kids uh have to go to clinics uh we have what we call the Great American Shootouts uh and and they, they're usually in Dallas San Antonio Houston area so we have to travel the 500-600 miles to to get to those and and oftentimes, like with my team, we will we will travel to um, to Dallas and Houston um, by a vans, bus, or plane to compete in preseason in, in tournaments—not preseason right. tournament, but, but tournaments during the, the beginning of the year, school year, to try and, and try and get some experience. And don't get me wrong, El Paso basketball is is pretty good, but but um, you know when you look at it, when you look at a city of six hundred fifty thousand. And uh, you've got suburbs uh, in uh, Dallas and Houston that are almost the same size as we are. So, <laughs> so, you not quite, not quite as big, but almost the same size. You 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 just you you have to go where where the where more people are. And then West Texas is is uh, is is different. You know, you got Amarillo High School, uh, Amarillo and that area, and Abilene, Odessa. In West Texas is more sparsely populated uh, than, than, say, the the three metroplexes. I forgot, you know, San Antonio metroplex as well, and then uh, the Rio Grande Valley.
1: Well, your, so, your brother Steve brags on you a lot, and he says one of the things that he really admires is the fact that you take your teams to these big cities, to these tournaments, because you want them to experience the best competition. You're not going to these things necessarily thinking you're going to win them. You know you're going to have your hands full, but you think that that is uh, the way to better prepare your team. Is that something you learned uh, in your high school days, or is it something you learned from Coach Haskins at UTEP? What, what kind of drove you to start doing that?
0: Well, it's just something you know. I, I looked at and I said, in order for us to get better, you 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 have to go play against the the best uh, the best competition, and and they're not knocking El Paso, but the fact of the matter is, the the, the those metroplexes are huge, and especially Dallas Fort Worth, because Texas is broken up into Region One, Region Two, Region Three, Region Four. And Region One, it includes all of Fort Worth and the Fort Worth metroplexes and Mansfield, which, which has, which is tremendous talent as well. And then the Amarillo area. So you go where your competition is going to be in the the playoffs Mm -hmm. in El Paso. We, we, we all see each other and, uh, that familiarity. So you, you want to go to the unfamiliar, you want to, you want to go and, uh, put your kids in a, in a surrounding, in an atmosphere where they're not as comfortable they're not as comfortable where they have to get up and, uh, and go compete against a team that that's got some six, seven, six, eight, uh, some D one, uh, D one athletes. And then you'll play another team like that and another team like that. And, uh, and you, you, sometimes you sit there, you go one win, three losses, you go two and two, uh, one year, two years ago, before COVID we ran, um, uh, the dallas metro tournament one of the tournaments and we got to the finals and lost uh so in and in the houston tournament uh we we ran a tournament um we got to the semi-finals and we we lost to a team uh by about 13 it was number two in the, the 6a level and we're a 5a level you know you had 6a 5a 4a mm-hmm. and it's based based on non-student population so
1: well it, i uh I am, I am uh, impressed that uh, you have continued uh, to stay in the game of basketball. I'm sure that the, uh, the young men out there have been able to benefit from your Olympic experience, uh, despite this do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do thing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you spending some time. I know it's got to be difficult for you every four years to have people try to uh, uh, drag, you, drag this up and, and bring back some, some good memories, I guess, but uh, unfortunately a, a bad ending. So I really appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Well, I
0: appreciate it. Thank you.
1: That is Jim Forbes. That was our interview with him back in uh, August. And as I said, he passed away on uh, Friday at the age of 69. A, a great loss, not just to the, uh, the Texas uh, basketball community, the El Paso community, but of course uh, uh, to Laura and Steve and uh, so our, uh, our thoughts and our prayers continue to be with them as uh, they work through this. But uh, I'm glad that I was able to spend uh, a half an hour talking to uh, a classy gentleman on the phone. As we remember him on our way out this morning, uh, I can't think of a better way. Uh, a little Vince Gill and uh, go rest high on that mountain, Jim Forbes. Uh, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.